0: Welcome to Talk Commerce where we explore how merchants, agencies and developers experience commerce and the ecosystems and communities they work and live in. This week we interview Eric Landman with Earthling Interactive. We kick off the episode with how merchants are using e-commerce platforms and look especially at B2B and how B2B merchants are utilizing their catalogs. You may be surprised where they are missing out. We have look at some specific features for B2B and touch on Adobe Commerce and Oro Commerce. Eric talks about the shifting platform landscape, and we dive into some saas vs. on-prem differences. Finally, we learn that Eric is an avid ice climber and lives in Bozeman, Montana. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by SwiftDotter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers, too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification study materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TalkCommerce for 15% off any digital goods at SwiftDotter.com. TalkCommerce is brought to you by eWay Corp. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by Eway Corp, offers an easy to use, flexible, cost effective solution to all your infrastructure needs. eWayCorp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high performance network that will make your office hum, not literally. eWayCorp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to ewaycorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P dot My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to Talk Commerce. I have Eric Landman here today from Bozeman, Montana, uh, just fresh off, of the, fresh off the prairie or the mountains, the ski slopes. It's not really ski season, but Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, maybe one of your passions.
1: Hi Brent, yeah, I'm Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager for Earthly Interactive. Um, I'm a certified Magento Solution Specialist and my passion and the reason I moved here is that I'm, I'm a climber and primarily an ice climber. So Bozeman has a place called Highlight Canyon, which is one of the premier ice climbing destinations in the, in the whole continent. And there are a lot of famous climbers live here. People like Conrad Anker, who's kind of a household name, been on National Geographic Specials and other folks in the area. So it's just a fantastic place to live. Uh, I can walk out my door and see the mountains. So it's great.
0: Yeah. And I, I, uh, my dad lives in Helena and he complains all the time about everybody wanting to move to Montana. (laughs) And he's happy that everybody's just moving to Bozeman. Um, But yeah. And I I think the housing, everything around Bozeman is difficult and hard (laughs) and hard to deal with right now. Housing
1: is stratospherically expensive. That's the one thing I did not expect so it's like well that's the problem all these people from california they complain about bringing in a million dollars and paying cash for houses
0: yeah and I, and and, a, and the weather i was there about three four weeks ago it was in the 70s or something maybe 80s and the my dad sent me pictures from the next week and had two inches of snow on the ground up in helena so yeah <laughs> it's crazy spring, and, crazy spring montana's
1: spring in Montana is like it snows in the morning and by the afternoon it's burned off and it's 60 degrees. So it's it's different.
0: You you have to love it. You have to love it. Uh, My Uh, sister has a, has a shop. I have to give her a little plug Chalet market in Belgrade, which is just right outside of Bozeman. So if you're uh driving through Montana right now on I-90 and you want to stop at Chalet market, it's in the Belgrade exit right by the airport. Oh Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um good well eric i I really i'm happy you you joined today i I know we've met a couple times maybe at mage titans down in austin Mm -hmm. and uh uh some of the i i looked at some of the notes you sent over and it was i I thought you had some really good ideas and things to talk about one of them was how merchants always perceive an e-commerce store as having to sell something maybe you could go into a little bit more about that
1: sure um there's a couple aspects of that. Um, about half the sites we do are B2B sites and they don't necessarily sell directly. What they have though is a quotation model a lot of times. So they have the products, <clears throat> they have filters in there and product attributes and categories and all the usual things you'd see in an e-commerce site. But, but they don't, for some reason, they don't perceive it as being an e-commerce site because, or oh, our, our customers they just put together quotes it's like well (laughs) a quote is pretty close to a sale so their selling model be to say to architects for building out a project say a school or a library and they need to put together a, a list of furniture for for a library you know there might be 40 tables and 100 chairs and you know huge order but it doesn't get purchased until it goes through some, you know, board of education or some budget six months later, maybe it turns into a sale. So they, they, they tend to think of this not being an e-commerce site, but it absolutely is because there, the interaction with the customer eventually turns into a transaction. So that's one thing. The other thing is we see a lot of, um, this seems to happen in the B2B world where they have what the customers refer to as an online catalog. It's products, maybe not even with the greatest sorting, but just like a product pages. And they may have a family of products and then in some sort of form, like a grid sort of form. um, we, We ran into one of these companies with they sell industrial plugs for like the ends of paper roll cores and other sorts of cores they have all these different size plugs and all, all these materials, and but they they don't think of this as an e-commerce site because they say, "Oh, all our orders are customer, our are, are custom. The customers just call us up." I'm thinking, "Oh man, there's a huge opportunity here. You're just you need to take advantage of this." So they 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 literally call their site an online catalog. It's like, whoa, hang on a sec. You need to retool your thinking here a little bit.
0: Yeah, the management of that content. Uh, I mean, I think Magento or B2B, or, B2 or um, even big commerce now, uh, with with their B2B integrations, certainly Magento with its B2B integrations, allows for that content to be easily managed. And that's one of the big things I think merchants overlook mm-hmm. is the idea of this catalog, and then how are they going to manage it? If you're trying to do it in WordPress, yes, it can be done, but it is much more complicated and much less efficient to try to manage a a larger catalog like that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And and most of our customers don't have too huge a product or catalogs, maybe mm, between two and 10,000 products, which isn't, you know, it's not Amazon or anything. But I mean, if you had to manually manage 10,000 products, well, that's, uh, you don't want to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had a client that, um, um, well, we in, implemented a Kinio along with Magento and they had a million products. And mm-hmm. um, I, I remember trying to explain to them the, the VAR chart versus an int type of attribute where one is fixed and one is just open. And they yeah. insisted on having Two or three hundred varchar, and and for the for the listeners of varchar, would just be anything you wanted to stick into a description. It would just be like a title, description, short, any kind of field you'd want that you can just put text into. And I said, who is going to maintain three hundred times a million different attributes on a product? It doesn't make any sense. And and Mm -hmm. just trying to get them over that idea of this uh, attribute attributes on an individual product and how all those products can be managed through that. And this goes back to your the conversation around catalogs and how well Magento would work in that catalog situation in the sense of filtering and look and filtering through using layered navigation, using the category structure, using all those different pieces that, that it gives out of the box just for e-commerce, but using it in a catalog setting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we had a podcast on just exactly this topic uh, a couple of weeks ago on, on project filtering and layer navigation. And, you know, the, the consensus of the six of us that were on the panel said, if you don't, you know, you, you know, first of all, you have to get your users to the site, but then once they land there, you better really deliver a super stellar performance and way to filter products where people are just gonna get frustrated and just go somewhere else because the expectations are so high nowadays that they'll just leave. And that could be a very expensive trip.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and even the idea of capturing it, just like you said, um, capturing it as a quote, if you're using the Adobe commerce version, comes with built-in quoting um, but <laughs> if you're using the open source version of Magento, there's a, there's a great, there's great modules to allow for that quoting. And then, in, and then that interaction and the tie back to that product. And then I think one thing, a lot of merchants don't recognize in this setting is that, um, they are, they, they say, well, they're going to call in and place the order. Well, the facility is there for them just to place the order without having to call in. So Mm -hmm. if the merchant is suddenly thinking at 10 p.m. at night, oh, I do want to get that, those 20,000 plugs. Hey, I'm I'm going to order that now. (laughs) At least get the order in. (laughs) Then Let's talk about it later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some some of our customers have selling models where they have um, their manufacturers, then they have manufacturers reps. You don't actually buy anything on their site. You have to go through the rep. Um, And we have finally implemented a quotation system for them. And they were kind of resistant to it because they were kind of an old school selling model saying, oh, but our reps have to talk to our customers because there's so much they need to talk, you know, they need their advice. and Well, okay, maybe they do to a certain extent. But what they discovered is, actually our customers are smarter than we thought <laughs> they, they they can place orders or they certainly can place quotes and get it most of the way there and then finish it off so their order volume has gone up since since uh implementing a, a quotation system
0: yeah yeah we have, we've we've we had the same experience where the client was worried that or the client salespeople were worried that they were going to miss out on, on, on commissions, uh, but it was a business decision that the, the owners of the company said, no, you'll still get a commission no matter how the client buys it. So now the salespeople are seeing an uptick in sales and mm-hmm. an uptick in commissions because the client can now go back and reorder things without having to call them, without having to get in touch with them. Um, They've already they already allowed them to call in and just order through a customer service rep. uh, But this just made it even better. And then what they also discovered is that and this they discovered that when they're going to say that quick order form, that they could introduce new products in that form, and highlight them to say, hey, here's a new product for this thing. This widget that does a great Mm -hmm. add on, why don't you give it a try? or order ten, and you know we'll we'll comp them or whatever that that promotion is. It's a great way to introduce new items, especially when you're talking about smaller catalogs. If they only have three or four hundred items, they're in trying to, and they're trying to increase their catalog. That's a great way to introduce those new items.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I hadn't thought of that situation. Um, we have a customer, an industrial manufacturer, and they, uh, they their products their manufactured products last many years so they have a, a need for parts replacement and they have a, they have a quick order form for parts replacement um, but they were saying oh but our customers have to call in because you know they ordered this thing six years ago well the par- products don't change so it's not like you know it's not that complicated the customers know what they need. So they, they are able to do this. And then, uh, you know, six months later or a year later when they need the same part for a different customer that they installed, they can just go to the website and order it. They don't have to talk to a rep. So there's a higher turnover of orders that, that they're realizing that now.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing that Magento offers that's, or Adobe commerce now offers that's exciting <laughs> Is the ability to section off specific uh, experiences? So, for example, uh, we we created a B 2 B experience that that was laid out for an iPad, hmm. and that the reps could be on site. And, th- and this company happens to sell things outdoors, so they they would have uh, they would have uh, internet enabled iPads with with 3G or whatever 4G now or 4G LTE or, <laughs> Whatever it and, is. and they would be, they could be on site and they could be with the client directly in the field and, and talk about those items, order those items right there. And, and the rep could place the order on behalf of the client in the field on site using a specific layout, not an app, but like a PWA specific mm-hmm. layout. Um, and it could be done in a PWA it could be done in an app, or it could be done in the standard Magento, uh, theming. And it was very successful for them. And the, and the sales reps loved this interface that allowed them to just go quickly to find those items. And it was done through the quick order form, find those items, show those items, and then purchase those items or, or at least order them directly for the customer.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds really similar to a solution we did for, uh, this is a little different convenience stores like stop and goes and quick trips and such um, where the manager would order coffee supplies you know you, you go to say a gas station coffee and they've got the row of carafes there and the and the coffee and the filters and the machines they they have a quick order form that they log in and they they know what they order every single week they order almost the same thing they hop into the order form key in the SKU because they've got half of them memorized already and and uh just place an order like that and then it gets billed through the corporate uh account but with their branch location flagged as as the one that's actually purchasing yeah so that's another thing that <laughs> probably you, in, the, in years past, you would have had a delivery driver that drives around in a coffee truck and hits all the convenience stores and say, well, what do you need this week? Oh, I need 25 pounds of breakfast blend or whatever. It's just, I mean, the whole selling model is completely
0: changed. Yeah, and that selling model still, I mean, it still sort of works in bigger cities, but in rural areas like Montana that your, your driver is driving, you know, 60, 70 miles the next stop and it uh, it makes it a lot easier if they know what they should be giving them in advance Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and then those same vendors are trying to compete with people like amazon so it's like oh boy look out here they come yeah and costco
0: costco has a has a, a commercial division as well oh okay didn't know that Um, so just kind of pivoting on that, uh, from a, from a platform standpoint, uh, looking at first B2B, what do you see as good as strong B2B platforms for, for businesses to use? Uh, well, um, that's kind of a
1: interesting topic. There's two that I think, uh, Adobe commerce got to use the new name (laughs) is of course, great. Uh, We've been very interested in our and watching how that's risen through the ranks um, oral commerce. Um, it's got a lot of cool features that are very mature and so. Um, there's there's platforms that you can tack on b2b features, so a lot of businesses don't necessarily need a full blown b2b platform the. They maybe they can um, use something like Magento open source with a quotation module or perhaps some um, hierarchical uh, order approval extensions that, that'll put in a lot of the pieces. Um, so it kind of depends on how large the company is and what the features are. But yeah, I would say Adobe Commerce, the B2B features and also Oro are really, really important. There's some vertical market um, platforms like in the outdoor industry, there's one called Hubsoft.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did interview uh, Thomas Fleck, who is the VP of Oro Commerce in Europe. And uh, he gave us a great uh, a great sort of explanation of how those work. Not HubSpot, but HubSoft. Yeah, we. we you just froze up oh. for a second there. Yeah, sorry. I'm. That's all right. I'm back. <laughs> um, all right. So, we live in nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you were just saying about the the vertical Hub Hub something. Yeah, Hubsoft.
1: Um, it's uh, it's targeted at the outdoor brand market. Um, you know all, all your major brands you might think of. Uh, the interesting thing about it is it's got a model where the um, reps, the manufacturers reps or or reps, either working for the company or independent reps that represent multiple brands, uh, can create orders and sell to individual stores, because the model in that industry is everybody orders things after outdoor retailer and usually around October or so. They put together their orders for the whole next year. So there's a huge amount of sales activity and a lot of things revolve around that timeline. So they can put in orders uh, and, and Hubsoft will kind of collect these orders and communicate with the manufacturers about what the need is so that they know if they need to build out or manufacture say 50,000 down jackets or you know because they've got pre-orders for all of these Uh, so it's like wow that's really uh, totally different Um, and the whole approval and purchase order process and, and tracking this whole process through the manufacturers a lot of which are still in China or Vietnam or know around the world that's that's just a whole whole other world so they they seem to have that word pretty well
0: yeah i did interview thomas fleck a couple weeks ago he's the vp of oro commerce in europe now or in daca at least and Mm -hmm. uh i liked his take on oro and how that it has every feature you would need as a b2b just natively and it's built i guess b2b first so clients that need those features don't have to worry about an add-on or a plug-in or something that's yeah. not there
1: right for people yeah for customers that need that that is absolutely the way to go yeah I, um
0: I have you done any oral installs or oral commerce uh jobs that uh, that have been successful for you yet
1: no we've poked around at the edges we've got some request to modify sites that are existing. Um, so we're, we're kind of waiting for, it's, it's, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, you're sort of fishing, waiting for the fish to swim along. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in a phase and, and uh, experimenting, but it's, it's really an interesting program. And I, I think it's especially interesting that it sort of has a, its genesis with the same thought pattern that Magento did.
0: Yeah. Um, Yoav Kudner is the founder of that, uh, that product. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe Akinio sort of spun out of that original platform as well. The oral platform. Mm. Mm. Um, so what about B2C? What do you see now happening in the B2C market?
1: Oh man, that's crazy. Um, well, Shopify has taken off stratospherically. We were running into that quite a lot. Um, I see Adobe seems to be targeting Magento for bigger and bigger companies and trying to emphasize all of their big integrations and the value of going to uh, Adobe Commerce. Um, It's also, since it's been retooled to the current uh, code base, I actually remember going to a couple different conferences, and the developers were saying, "Oh, it's really, it's really easy. It's, it's, it's just like, you know, it's just like Magento One, only better." And then, now I start. I'm, I've got, I don't know, four years of building Magento Two sites, and I go, "Yeah, those those guys were, yeah, they were not exactly telling the the whole truth there, <laughs> because it has trended much more to be a very developer centric code base." you have to have a developer to work on the general period. I mean, that's just the way it is. Whereas you don't have to have a developer for something like Shopify, they're two completely different uh, paradigms. Um, But we've seen that if people want to get up and, and do something fast, they probably start on a SaaS platform like Shopify or BigCommerce just to get the first uh, product out to market or the first iteration of their sites. Then as the traffic uh, increases and maybe when they start to look at their bills for hosting and what their credit card gateway is costing them per transaction, if they start to get a lot of traffic, they're starting to go, ooh, that's, that's expensive. Um, you know, maybe we should build this out so we own the code base uh, using an open source program.
0: Yeah, I know some of the hidden costs in Shopify are those integration points and the and that mm-hmm. transaction costs, not just for the credit cards, but the transaction costs for your third-party integrations that are there. Those aren't just purchase and plug-in; those are external uh, in- external apps that have run against Shopify, and typically their revenue model is some kind of transaction or or revenue basis. Mm-hmm. And that ends up costing you a lot of money in the end. Often, oh, yeah. I think there's a tipping point in which Shopify becomes far more expensive than Adobe Commerce uh, at its at its highest licensing level. Oh, I
1: agree, especially when you look at the the uh, hosting cost for say Shopify Plus starts at two thousand dollars a month. I mean, ooh, that's that buys some resources on AWS. Uh, and there's plenty of hosting platforms that are way less than that from for Magento with, you know, with comparable traffic volumes and comparable uh, specs. So we had one project that we did not go with, or they, the, the, we lost the, the bid on that one. And we found out subsequently that they decided to build out the project in Shopify and turns out they had so many extensions that they were spending over two thousand dollars a month in hosting on, on just the regular Shopify. But they had all of these extensions that were doing all of these integrations and fees, and and they go, oh wow, we didn't realize that. It's like, well, you know, if <laughs> we if you'd done a strategy and evaluation to figure out what your requirements were before you just sort of dove into this situation. You know, you wouldn't be six months down the road going, oh, damn, we really screwed up here.
0: Yeah, the uh, the extension market and the integration piece on Shopify as well um, will really drastically slow your site down. Uh, yeah. The more integration points you have, just like Magento, and some people have 70, 60, 70 modules stuck in there. Um those things are often overlooked for Shopify. And uh I think that your typical Shopify site is still loading in four plus seconds, something like that. It's not it's not necessarily high performance. The feedback I get from a lot of merchants is that Shopify just does a really good job at marketing their product.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They're everywhere. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, they also make it easy. You know, they bundle some nice features uh, like I, this, this site that I'm building on now. It's, it's for a company that sells retail um, food items. So really small company. And so this was a good choice. But they said, oh, I placed, I placed an order and I got my email. That was cool. But then I also got, oh, you left this in your cart. Would you like to buy this? You know, it's an abandoned card email that stuff stock in Shopify they they love that just little things like that thought well that's really cool and they can get the reports just you know really basic reports so it was kind of interesting to see this new store owner think that these you know what what now we have considered for years so that are standard features they thought oh this is really this is really sweet (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think too, with, with Adobe and some of their UX people being involved and and the way that they're making the platform grow, we're going to see a lot of that, a lot of those UX things, those, those sort of subliminal things happen automatically, you know, Adobe Sensei now you can integrate directly into Magento. Um, So some of those things that that uh, would be more bespoke or, or just sort of, if you like it, plug it in. I think a lot of those things that we're seeing out of Shopify or Commerce are going to be there by default in in Magento or Adobe Commerce as well.
1: Yeah, that would be good because site owners are, you know, the, the more you can make it frictionless or, or easy, and for developers too, uh, the more successful it's going to be because, you know, us developers don't, don't particularly like installing the same set of extensions for every single site because you know, this really should be part of the core because we we need this stuff,
0: yeah. I think some of the more successful uh, agencies have done a baseline in Magento. Here's the successful modules that we've had. You should at least launch with some of those and mm-hmm. that, that could mimic then what Shopify does and some of their base items or whatever they get out of the box for the merchant.
1: Yeah, we actually do sort of a version of that ourselves. We've got a few recommended vendors with some extensions that we use on every single site. Um, One of those, I was just talking to one of my developers this morning about the content security policy that Magento's installed now. And it it throws up all of these reports uh, on the console when you're looking at a page. And I don't really have any statistics on that, but I've got to believe that that tends to slow down the browser just a little bit because it's it's got to deal with all of these, not really errors, but they're in red. It's really quite annoying. (laughs) So we are bundling now with every site we build a CSP extension and whitelisting all of those things. So it's just one less thing to deal with for the browser. Uh, So that's an example of... How an agency might bundle something that just should be part of the core, and it just should be something you don't have to deal with.
0: And what is that extension?
1: Well, it's Magento CSP is the content security policy. But what you have to do is you have to write a whitelist for all of the resources that you're whitelisting. So, for example, this site we're just finishing has a three D configurator that calls a piece of JavaScript that brings in some resources from an external 3D modeling site. So it looks at that as, oh, that's that's a security thing. You're calling some JavaScript that's on somebody else's site, we can't, we can't allow that. Well, you have to have it for this particular feature to work. So you've gotta have some methodology to allow those sorts of links to work uh, without flagging some sort of nasty error in the browser.
0: Okay. Got it. And was it a vendor that you're using for that? Or is that something that's, that you built?
1: No, that's an extension that we wrote.
0: Okay. Got it. Um, So kind of pivoting now on, on extensions and, and the site itself, let's talk a little bit about site maintenance and what, what maybe is overlooked by merchants often. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, This is a little bit of a sore point because a lot of, site owners think oh i just built my site and you know we're good for five years <laughs> uh well <clears throat> here to tell you that that's not the way that e-commerce or wo- languages change operating systems change the whole underlying hosting architecture changed. i'm not telling you anything different this is for the audience um you know so going from php versions can cause havoc with extensions that are written to take advantage of certain things so sites require maintenance because i mean almost every day something's changing um, most, most uh, open source code bases you can go to the control panel of the admin area or, or certainly run a, a command and see if the extensions on your site are up to date. And you might be shocked that the day after you launch your site, there's stuff that needs to be updated. It's like, what, what, we just did this, how could this be, you know, please. (laughs) But in fact, that's the case. Um, Certainly active vendors in the Magenta world, you know, active vendors like Mageworks or Amnesty or any of those those big vendors, the Headworks, any of those, they are constantly adding features and updating and tweaking and bug fixes and all, all of that, so that there there is there are just a lot of extensions that are, get updated, and a lot of times are little minor things that don't you know maybe edge cases that don't seem to matter too much, but sometimes they're really major things. So there you know running a site it absolutely requires maintenance. And it should be on some sort of a scheduled basis. Even if it's something as simple as the site's project manager goes in and takes a look at the control pen and says, oh, what's what's happened now? Oh, I see. amnesty has got updates for four of their extensions. Those Do those matter? They can look at the release notes and figure out, is this a problem we've been having or does it need to be updated or not? Or can we wait a little bit? So th- that all takes time and it takes developer resources and you can ignore it for a while, <clears throat> but then you build up what's called tech debt. And slowly over time, your site will become more and more difficult to update, especially if you have versions of PHP involved and in the problem with this whole process is that a lot of what we do as developers is pretty much invisible to customers. They don't understand it, it's kind of a black box, it's just stuff that runs or doesn't run. And you know if it doesn't run, fix it, what's, what's wrong here? So it's we, we as developers have to communicate, do a better job about what it is that we do and how frequently we need to do it in terms of maintenance. Um, I kind of use the, the car analogy well, yeah, you can buy a car and just drive it until it falls apart, but it's, <laughs> at some point you need, I don't mean gas, but you need to change the oil, you need new tires, brakes, You know, all, all that stuff takes time. And websites aren't physical entities, but because of the changeable environment uh, with, as I mentioned, the server operating systems and languages and extensions and all of the dependencies for the code, that all takes maintenance. So site owners absolutely have to plan on the budget. And when we initially talk to a customer about building a site out, that's actually on the docket. We talk about maintenance after the site is launched. Uh, It's gotta be part of it. Otherwise you're not going to have a successful site.
0: Yeah, another way to look at that using the car analogy would be you purchase a car and if you buy that car, uh, you own it and you maintain it over time if you lease the car, a lot of times that lease includes some maintenance, but you have to turn it in at some point mm-hmm. or buy it. The dip, So a SAS model would be more like the leasing model. You don't actually own anything, you're just renting it. And the downside is that you can never buy it. At Leasing, at least you could buy it at the end of the lease if you wanted to. But on a SAS model, you never really own any of that. You own sort of the IP that's sitting on top of their their base, but you don't own anything else other than that. And you can't really put it anywhere or move it anywhere or take it down and, and have it for later or whatever. You're, you're stuck in what you get. Where in Magento or Adobe Commerce, you have the ability to move that hosting anywhere you'd like. You have the ability to... Um, to host it uh, with Adobe or a host it with uh, AWS. So there's there's lots of flexibility there um, that gives the client a lot more flexibility.
1: That is absolutely true. Uh, I had customers who've come from the software as a service world, the SaaS world. They were shocked to know that they, what do you mean I can't just take my Shopify site and host it somewhere else? It's like, well, because <laughs> that's Shopify, you no, that's their model. You can't move it. <clears throat> sure, you can download your assets in a CSV file. Okay, whoop-de-doo. You no, know, that's, that's such a small part of your site.
0: Uh, one of the things that, that has been interesting for me to see as Adobe has grown now is their SWAT tool. If you have Adobe Commerce Cloud 2.4.1 or better, you, there is a built-in site-wide analysis tool system site-wide analysis tool that you can use just for those some of those things that you were talking about. Um, and I think it's an under-recognized feature or maybe it's a new feature that Adobe hasn't pushed much, but it's one of those features that started its infancy before Adobe purchased it and made it through all this time and now is in production. And, and it is a really cool uh, way of seeing both security, Uh, security issues that you have with your site, performance issues, but then, as you said, some of the items that just need to be updated.
1: Hmm. That's neat. Um, I wonder, did this come through, uh, they had this um, security, what was it, security analyzer? They have a a security
0: scanner tool, that's different. Um, This one, and there's an episode, I think it's episode four with Barnett Hellman uh, who in our, on the Talk Commerce series, he talked about it. He also did presentation, I think at Meet Magento Indonesia, Meet Magento India. Uh, He's been very vocal about that and and showing all the new features and they have a great roadmap of adding more features into it, which which includes uh, on-prem, and well, and it's, I think he said it'll include the open source version as well at some point um, for cool. the for the SWAT.
1: Yeah, that's that sounds fantastic. I got
0: to check that out. Um, so you talked a little bit about the shifting uh, platform landscape. Can you kind of elaborate on that?
1: Oh yeah. Um, well, wow. Where to start? Um, I think it starts with the sort of recognition or awareness of, of other SaaS platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce and even WooCommerce out there. Um, but there's sort of this conflation that everything is all kind of the same. So when you see Shopify advertising and customers say, I want a Shopify site, it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe that works maybe that's the right thing and maybe not. Um, I think it's driven by so much more awareness and a lot of the world is shifting to buying things online. It took, you know, many years before people to be comfortable with e-commerce. I mean, people like us, we can remember when, you know, it was kind of a big deal. Oh, you bought something online. Aren't you worried? Isn't your credit card going to get hacked? And, you know, I think most of those fears have kind of gone by. The wayside as code bases have improved although there's been plenty of hacks that's a different topic um, <laughs> but there's this more awareness in the whole um, what would you say consumer and even b2b space that yeah you can buy things online and it's okay and it's secure and it's just kind of a normal thing nowadays it's not and not any big deal uh, so with that awareness I think and the vendors advertising a lot, there's been this mental shift to more, I guess you'd call them more consumer-friendly platforms where a a small business owner can just fire up Wix or Shopify or WooCommerce or something and and have a store done relatively painlessly compared to the older days. Remember, I come from the days when when you had to do an e-commerce store, you're gonna use something like OS Commerce or Zen cart, and it was like, oh oh man, it was <laughs> it was painful and a lot of work. And just don't change anything because it works. <laughs> of course, you couldn't upgrade anything. But anyway, so so systems have completely changed and and the SaaS models have really floated to the top. Um, but this just proves more than ever why prospective customers and, and even anybody looking to switch platforms or make a change, they really need to do their due diligence uh, with some sort of evaluation, some sort of really deep evaluation about costs and features and benefits. This is standard business school stuff, but it's just shocking how many people just go with the ads and go, oh, I heard I heard, WooCommerce is the greatest thing. Let's just do that. It's like, "Oh, hold on a sec. <laughs> you, you don't know if that's the right thing or not. It's, so i think advertising has driven a lot of this but also sort of the general you know mindset of consumers about e-commerce
0: yeah the um well yeah certainly everyone is kind of staking their claim and they're all they're they're bleeding into each other and and platforms are specific are working specifically for Different segments of the commerce population. And I think that I think one thing that Magento or Adobe Commerce has to recognize is maybe that mom and pop startup, that's not the best solution for them uh, to go onto Adobe Commerce. But certainly at some point, it makes sense to move into that because there's so many features and there's so much potential in there that that consumer or merchant should be looking at that platform and in the same regard they that as you were saying people need to do their due diligence to decide hey if i'm going to make this shopify site am i going to get myself stuck into some kind of huge cost that's recurring that's going to be even more expensive to get out of because i'm going to have to rebuild that into something else
1: well, that's the thing, right? If you're end of the road with your Shopify site or BigCommerce, then you realize, wow, this is really costing too much money. You gotta pay again to have the site rebuilt. You can't lift that up and move it somewhere. Yeah, as, as you mentioned before. So yeah, that, that can be an extremely expensive mistake if you build the site on the wrong platform, yeah. Uh, but yeah. There, that being said, there are some advantages, you know, like maintenance is very low or 10 non-existent, Um, so that's an advantage. If you've got a really simple site, cool, but if you, it seems to me, I think a fairly straightforward uh, explanation is that the increasing complexity, it just drives the argument that probably you should be leaning more toward an open source site with the, the increasing complexity because You're starting to add on all these extensions. The extensions have fees, monthly fees frequently, not even just, uh, you know, in the open source world, typically you buy an extension and then you get so much tech support with it, uh, say six months or something like that. But after that, if you don't need tech support, you don't need to buy it. It's just, that's the way it is. Some, I I mean, I know you know these things, but for the benefit of our audience, uh, many of these extension vendors give you free lifetime updates, which is like, wow, that's fantastic. Um, some don't. Some of you have to have a support contract or, or renew your support. Um, but it's not like you're getting dinged every single month. If you have some extension that you bought for $50 and it works, fine. You don't have to pay $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever the licensing fee would be. So if you have 30 of those extensions, that really adds up. Um, so I, th- I think my point is that with increasing complexity and especially given the dynamic environment where everything is changing so much in the, in the e-commerce world, if more and more complex sites tend to lean more strongly toward an open source solution, for sure.
0: Um, so just kind of um, finishing up here, uh, I have to ask about the... Hufa theme? Have you looked oh, at all at the Ifa, Hufa, the uh, good Ho- Finnish theme? The Huva,
1: Huva, I think is how it's yeah. pronounced. <laughs> I'm starting to learn Polish too, so my head's all messed up with various pronunciations. <laughs> but yeah, Huva. Yeah, that is super interesting. Um, I've got one customer who wants to be number one in Google search results for a very commodity product. So we're considering using Huva to rebuild his theme or start over, I guess, really, um, because of the way it operates, replacing the JavaScript frameworks. Um, it, it looks really interesting. And that's, that's an example of the open source tools that are out there that, um, yeah, it's gonna be expensive, but you know, if you wanna sell $50 million worth of stuff, in a year and you and your sales depend upon you landing on page one of Google for this particular category, well you're willing to spend the money to do that and you have to have an open source uh, platform to do that. Yeah, you're not going to do that in Shopify, period. That's just not possible.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. The, both from a performance standpoint uh, and uh, and a, just an SEO standpoint, uh, Shopify is not going to meet those requirements. The, exci- the exciting thing about Hufa for me is the fact that we can see 300 millisecond load times now, whereas wow. the other platforms are looking at, including Magento Luma, are looking at 400 millisecond plus load times. So I think that's... That's one of the really exciting things for me about that. Yeah,
1: that's it's just screaming fast. And when I read about how the structural, how it changes the structure of the way the pages are delivered, I thought, wow, that's kind of baked into Magento, and you you got to defeat that somehow. And this is the solution, it it seems.
0: Yeah, no, I I, that. uh, So I guess the other thing that's been hot out there is PWA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you did mention a little bit about APIs and how, how those, how APIs are, are API first has been sort of that buzzword out there. Um, just to note on how Shopify works, the only way you can make something work on Shopify is you attach it with an API. So, um, I think that, uh, well, the API first model, I think is gonna be there, especially in the enterprise world, but why don't you just give us a little comment on what, what you meant in that?
1: About, about APIs? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was actually referring to APIs as, um, as an integration tool for pushing, um, usually it's accounting or marketing data and where you have a, a say you have an, a Magento store and you need to get the orders into some ERP system somewhere, or you need to query inventory that's done through APIs. And a lot of that work is custom work. So I wasn't talking about the PWA aspect of things. We, we don't have any experience with PWAs. And it's uh, just for me standing off back and looking at the market, it seems like that's a little bit too bleeding edge for us at this point. Um, I don't know what your experience has been with that, but um, the other thing is Magento specifically has a, a really strong API. So, if you wanted to write some sort of other thing, like, you know, suppose, for example, you had um, a WordPress site that you wanted to display products from your Magento store on, you could call Magento's API and deliver the products to the WordPress site as something to see. You could also um, add things to a cart through the API from the WordPress site. So this is kind of mind blowing. Uh, So you're actually using Magento as sort of an engine runs in the background. Um, I know you know these things, Brent, but I'm trying to explain this in a way that makes sense to your normal site owners. Uh, it's this thing that runs in the background that is responsive to requests and, and stores data and pushes data back and forth. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. That's uh, not just cool from a development standpoint, it's useful as a tool to build sites.
0: Yeah, and uh, GraphQL is the new buzzword, not buzzword, it's the new interface that Magento is pushing on top of their or mm-hmm. Adobe Commerce is pushing and GraphQL is even faster than, than just RESTful APIs. So that I think that Magento is definitely, Adobe Commerce is definitely ahead <laughs> of the curve in terms of a- API coverage. And uh, just one note as a developer, when you do a, develop an extension, it's extremely easy to create an API when you're developing that data model inside your extension. So even the development phase of Magento makes it, uh, makes API first friendly.
1: Yes, yes, I would agree. Um, yeah, I've been uh, f- following that and we've been doing some integrations for a while and it's like my developers say, oh yeah, it's no big deal. So I see
0: how they do and I went, wow, that really is no big deal. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Um, well, Eric, we have a couple minutes left here. Uh, why don't you tell us, uh, give us some, maybe a book you're reading or some podcasts you're listening to. What What's what's good out there that you like?
1: Oh, well, I'm a climber. Um, I'm interested in the psychology and strategy of climbing. I'm an ice climber specifically and a high altitude um, climber. So I'm interested in this strategy and psychology of people like me that go after these completely ridiculous and absurd and pretty pointless pursuits. (laughs) Um, You can see things like that in the popular culture, like the climb of the Dawn Wall by Alex Honnold that has captured everybody's imagination. But there's a whole world to climbing that's just, you know, it's not on most people's radar. Um, But some of the some of the things I've been reading, uh, there's a really great book called Conquistadors of the Useless by Lionel Terray, very famous climber. Uh I was reading that lately. Also, with all the PBS noise about Steinbeck, I, I read a couple of his books. I didn't like him too much. So I don't know what all the noise is about. <laughs> Apparently he lived in Montana. He's a big deal around here. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's one of them, one of his grandson or somebody lives here in town. That's kind of neat. Um podcasts i have some from uh there's a site called the uphill athlete which is training and strategy for people engaged in mountain pursuits like climbers or backcountry skiers people like that um it's run by steve house who's a world famous alpinist and scott johnson who's a exercise physiologist so that's quite interesting to me see all the various aspects to mountain training and travel and psychology and stress and the whole constellation of um, grief and when somebody, when when there's accidents like avalanches and people die and what happens mentally and psychologically to the community, that's, that's pretty interesting to me too as an unfortunate participant in some of those activities. Oh, that's probably heavier than you wanted, but that's what I'm into.
0: Sure. Yeah. There's a great race in Bozeman called the Bridger Ridge run that happens in August. Mm -hmm. It's a 22 mile run. My dad's done it twice. I haven't done it yet, but I'd like to, at some point it's about up, you'll go up 3000 feet. You run along a ridge for about 20 miles and you come down 3000 feet. Yeah. I'd recommend that you sign up for that.
1: (laughs) Goes up in the Bridger range. I was just up there last weekend. I was up yeah. by Sac- Sacajawea up on the summit, and that's—I'm pretty sure—that's where the the trail is that 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 uh, that race follows.
0: Yeah. Uh, so as we finish off here, if you have a if you'd have a nugget that you could give a merchant uh, for some advice today, what would you tell them?
1: Um, I would say if their site is at all complex, um, don't skimp on maintenance. Uh, and, and be aware that your site does require maintenance, and work with your developers to make sure that things are working as well as they can. Um, site owners tend to want to save money, like you know any business owner, but frequently that has a big impact on your site, which translates into you know frustrated users and problems, or even if you let it go long enough, it could could be security problems. Nobody likes that. We don't like cleaning up that mess. So the advice is, yeah, pay attention to what your developers say and keep them close. Be on good terms
0: with your developers. That's good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and and finally, everybody has a chance to do a shameless plug. You can plug anything you'd like.
1: Oh, well,
0: um, I like the company
1: I work for, Earthling Interactive. We're based out of Madison, Wisconsin. We build sites for quite a wide variety of companies and um i just i just think you know like like to talk to people if they're interested in doing replatforming or <laughs> like some of these sites we've talked about their shopify sites getting crazy expensive um you know we'd
0: love to talk to them we could help them out perfect eric thanks a lot i i really enjoyed this conversation and i hope you have a nice wonderful montana day <laughs> Thank you, Brent. I, I expect to. Thank you. See you. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Otter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers, too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento certification study materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TalkCommerce for 15% off any digital goods at swiftdotter.com. TalkCommerce is brought to you by Eway Corp. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by Eway Corp, offers an easy-to-use, flexible, cost-effective solution. To all your infrastructure needs, eWayCorp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high performance network that will make your office hum, not literally. eWayCorp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to eWayCorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P dot com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.